This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Friday, April the 19th. I'm your host, D.A., less than a week to go now until the NFL draft. The Arizona Cardinals have been on the clock for months. And everybody and their mother looking at the NFL draft expects Arizona to take Kyler Murray number one overall quarterback. Oklahoma and Heisman Trophy winner. But of course, stranger things have happened. And so is it a guarantee that the Cardinals go with Kyla Murray and ultimately trade away Josh Rosen? Here's longtime NFL writer Jason Cole, who joined Gwyn and Chris on 97.3 The Fan in San Diego. You know, there's starting to be some uh, some movement on this number one pick as far as it being Kyler Murray. Do, do you think the Cardinals end up taking him in that, with that first pick? Oh, probably at this point. I mean, look, everything, the fact that they didn't push Josh Rosen in the ad, you know, with Fitzgerald and the rest, tells me they're thinking about quarterback, right? Like, if they weren't thinking about quarterback, they would have put Rosen in the ad, right? Um, So there's that. Then there's, um, they did meet with the agent. That's true. Uh, They've talked to him already. The connection um, between the coach, um, you know, the kid's an electric player, but, you know, he's he's 5'9". I mean, I, I know they say 5'10". He's not 5'10". He's 5'9". 5'9 and 7'8". That's what they said, I thought. Sure. Okay. You, you <laughs> uh, and, um, I, you know, it's just, it's just so hard in this league to make it when you've got all the physical gifts, when you don't have the physical gifts. Like Kyler Murray to me in the in the right world would be a second or a third round pick, right? Right. That that's where you would really take him. But he's got this baseball issue that's hanging out there that if he's not a first round pick, then he should stick with baseball right. um, because of the, the because of the way the money works. Interesting. Uh, he should gam- he should gamble that way. But he, you know he's got a guy who knows him, who believes in him, who uh, frankly I don't think. I don't think understands professional football in it. Like the coach doesn't understand it enough to really make this work. And I like him, but you had a losing record in college yeah. at Texas Tech, and your quarterback was Pat Mahomes. That's a good point. That's right. Good. And so, how are you going to sell that to? How are you going to sell that to a bunch of, you know, twenty-four to thirty-two-year-old men? who are looking there and going, hey, wait a second, you know, Cliff, how did you not win with that dude? Yeah. And now you expect to lead us? I just think that that becomes a problem. And when you add Kyler Murray to this whole thing, I think it becomes a bigger problem. Not because of Kyler or anything particularly wrong with him, 
but of all the other issues that go along with it. Man, after all of this, I would be shocked if the Cardinals did not go Kyler Murray because, let's face it, they already kind of tipped their hand when they hired Cliff Kingsbury. The fact that they brought in a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer, even though there's no real evidence that Cliff Kingsbury can change quarterbacks and he can coach them to wins and he can win games and conference titles and big games of the division because his tenure in Lubbock, Texas was really underwhelming. They brought him in for offensive acumen. They brought him in for the quarterback. And if they didn't want to trade Josh Rose, and they would have said, we want our new head coach to solve the problems of our existing quarterback, but they have not. So they've got to definitely be looking at zeroing in on bringing in Kyler Murray, the worst-kept secret in the NFL. Will it work? I got my doubts. Another team that's in desperate need of a quarterback would be the New York Giants, and perhaps they would be the one trading for Josh Rosen if he's made available. Although Dave Gettleman, their GM, doesn't sound like he's a big quarterback guy. Here's CMB, Bart Scott and Maggie Gray on WFAN in New York. If you believe that it's a guy there that you have rated in the first round, why would you pass him at six and not knowing that he may not be there at 17 because unlike you other teams put a premium and it is a special category for the quarterback yeah so what's your plan b then if if that guy's not there are you moving back in six and hoping that somebody's there hope so hoping that somebody falls for you he also spoke and said that he if he was to get 12 starters in this draft then i mean he would be shocked so that tells me that he's going to use a lot of this draft equity. They talk about the, the the separation between the second round pick at 37 then the next pick they have, I believe, it like in the 90s or something like that. So that means to tell me that if he believes that this draft is thick, he's going to try and move up. Right, and he's done that a lot in the past, actually. When right. he was a general manager at Carolina, he did that where he packaged, you know, in, in, in several occasions, packaged draft picks to move back up into that third and fourth round. Also interesting when someone asked him, I don't know who it was, but asked him sort of this veiled question basically about Josh Rosen. Yeah. Saying that, uh, you know, if if there was someone who was a first rounder who you might have liked last year and they happened to be available, what would you do at six? And obviously Gettleman caught on and he was laughing about it, but he said, we'll see where we're at at six and we're going to go from there. But over and over again says we will not draft for need, said the quarterback's obviously not a special a special category for them. And he thought the positions in this uh, draft that were the most thick, thick. <laughs> uh, wide receiver, which I was a little surprised about, offensive tackle, corner, cornerbacks, and safeties. So there you go. That was Dave Gettleman. Didn't so, he just trade for two safeties? Yeah. he. Oh, that was another one. How about this? If you're a Giants player and you're listening to this on <laughs> the Giants.com where they were streaming it, they asked him if he had any dogs on defense. And he starts naming guys. First Ogletree. he says Ogletree and then like stopped. <laughs> and then he goes, also our two safeties. You have Jabril. You have Antoine Buffet who came over obviously from the Carolina. Or excuse me, the Cardinals. And I don't think. Uh, later he said maybe well, we like Dalvin and we like There's BJ safety. Hill. But he didn't really talk about a lot of dogs. At that point he was going like name for name. Right. So that, that means. No Janoris. He has. Listen, it's, it's a lack of depth on that side of the ball. Um, but with that being said, you have to address the quarterback position. 
and especially if you believe that Eli's closer to 40 than 25. So that tells me that number six has to be a quarterback. But I don't understand how he's rating this class better than last class. Yeah, he deferred on that. He right. said he liked this class, and they said compare it to last year, and he laughed and said, I'm not going to do that. That's because he knows he's, he's, he's selling BS. And it's fine because that's what general managers do. And, you know, he felt like Saquon was a transcendent talent and the best person on the board. I would love to know who he feels is the best person on the board this year. Because if you're not, if you're not drafting for need, he's, dra- he's drafting for the best player on his board, then I don't know what you're doing. Because there's certain positions in football that are way more important than others. Yeah. Well, and the other reason why quarterback does deserve its own special class and why it has been so popularized to take quarterbacks higher and higher every single year is because they're cheaper. Because ever since the rookie salary scale, it's made it your cheapest way to build a title contender. When you don't have to pay a quarterback Russell Wilson money and Aaron Rodgers money, you just have all of that extra cash to put into other positions on the football field. So, you know, Dave Gettleman can laugh it off or he can say, you know, if you reach for a quarterback, you're screwed. And and all that may be true, but it is about roster building. It's not frivolous. It's not just about headlines. It's about how you move the money around to get the strongest roster available. And we've seen time and time again, it happens when your quarterback is on the cheap. See, the problem is that Dave Gettleman likes to talk too much. He really likes that microphone. He really likes acting like he's got something insightful to say. And when he speaks, you could just say, you know, you probably shouldn't need to say that. You know, you probably don't need to say that. You know, you, you probably would be better off not saying that entirely. I mean, the idea that the Giants don't, value quarterbacks more than other positions on the field might be the reason why they're still stuck on Eli Manning and for Gettleman to try to sell the masses on Eli being effective last year. I mean, let's be honest, you know, he can't really believe that. So he just sounds stupid talking about it yet again. Yesterday we talked about baseball's unwritten rules and Tim Anderson getting plunked by the Royals after bat flipping during a home run for the Chicago White Sox. And so is this part of the game we need anymore, or should we allow the players to police themselves? Here's former Major League Baseball pitcher Paul Bird, who joined Baskin and Phelps on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. I had a blown-out shoulder. I led the league in hitting people. I also made the All-Star team that year, but I had no labor. So when I would throw the ball, uh, you know, I would hit my spot eight out of ten times, but when I missed, because three-quarters of my labrum was not attached, I would miss by five or six feet. And you can never really truly uh, say, we're going to do this if you hit somebody, because then, you know, pitchers are like, well, so-and-so hit a home run. I can't hit, a, I can't hit anybody. Uh, I'm going to be, you know, suspended for 20 games. Well, shoot, I can't even pitch inside anymore. And I think so you're going to have problems like that if you did do try to legislate it. The players are, I mean, they're okay. They police themselves. There's no problem among the players. I mean, you may not like the police, uh, the police aspect of it, or you may disagree with what certain pitchers or players do, but that works itself out. Hmm. Um, and hitting, I'm not saying you got to drill a guy in the head. I would never, ever say anything like that. But moving a guy's feet is part of a game. 
hitters being comfortable or uncomfortable in the box is part of the game. Sticking up for your teammates is part of the game. Not being intimidated and vice versa is part of the game. And uh, I think you just say, hey, okay, at times baseball players are stuck at recess, uh, middle school recess, and there's going to be a brawl. <laughs> and, and that's it, you know? Hey, Paul, did so, you – let me ask you this. Did anyone ever have order a code red for you, say throw a 75-mile-hour fastball at somebody's tush? Or, hey, or hey. <laughs> I don't want you to out anybody because that's not what I'm saying. But, I mean, you did play for a number of managers. Anyone ever order that? And then the other question I have for you is, did you ever play with somebody that had it ordered but didn't do it? And what would be the repercussions in a clubhouse on that? Oh, man. Let me answer your second question first. Okay. If there was ever anybody that was ordered – to take, you know, hit this guy, and somebody didn't do it, they lost all respect in the clubhouse. Gotcha. Um, and you may not have hit a guy, but somebody can tell if you're trying to hit somebody. And it's, you know, I was ordered to hit Pedro Martinez one time, and I tried to hit him, but he knew I was trying to hit him. He's in the back of the box, you know, bobbing and weaving and all this. <laughs> and, yeah, I know. It was, but, you know, and Pedro, his game was intimidation. And I remember when he pointed at Posada and said, I'm going to hit you in the head and pointed to his own head, like, get ready. You know, there's there's a lot of that intimidation that goes on. Yes, I've been ordered to hit a number of people and hit them, and it wasn't a problem. Yeah, I don't know if you can leave it up to the players because sometimes you need an outside view to say, this is good, this is bad, this works, this is stupid. And if you're trying to have more fun a younger audience, more emotional personality in baseball, that having the players police this isn't going to work because the players would get policed by the pitchers. The pitchers are the ones with the baseball looking for revenge. So if this is all about showing up the pitchers, then you can't really allow the players to police themselves or else this stuff will never change. In college hoops, nobody can believe how messy the St. John's coaching search has been. Chris Mullen said he was going to step down on the eve of the national championship game. And we're now weeks later, and they still haven't been able to find anybody. And how many high-profile guys have turned this thing down? It seems like they have their man, Mike Anderson, former head coach at Arkansas, former head coach at Missouri, former head coach at UAB. He's been to the NCAA tournament nine times, had a pair of Sweet 16 runs, and also a run to the Elite Eight a decade ago. But has this permanently scarred the way that people look at the St. John's program, the search in and of itself? Here is the Gary Parrish Show with Gary Parrish, college basketball insider, of course, a 92.9 in Memphis. St. John's has just been turned down, a Big East program, by the Iona coach, the UMBC coach, and the Loyola Chicago coach. And I can just tell you, I can't really tell you how I can tell you, but I can just tell you I was shocked when Porter Moser turned that job down because I think he was a little frustrated. Like, I don't want to pretend he doesn't love Loyal Chicago and all that stuff. I think that's sincere. But I believe he was very aware that he's the first mid-major coach in a long time to go to a Final Four and not get a better job. Like Brad Stevens took Butler to a Final Four, to two of them. He ends up coach of the Celtics. Jim Laranaga takes George Mason to a Final Four. He ends up coach at Miami. Um, 
Shaka Smart takes VCU to a Final Four. He ends up the coach at Texas. Like, the history had been pretty clear. Like, if you are able to bounce there, whether it's because you're awesome or because you got lucky, you're going to get big opportunities. And here was Porter Moser. Like, he didn't get nothing last year. Takes a little Chicago to Final Four, gets nothing. And I think, I don't know that it, was, it frustrated him, but I, he was aware. He was aware, like, hey, I, why, why am I the only one that didn't get these offers? Then St. John's puts, like, a lot of money on the table. I think the total package was worth, like, $17 million. Jeez. And I was, and when that was reported a couple nights ago, I was like, well, he's taking that. Yeah, here he goes. And he turns it down. <laughs> and a buddy asked me, like, why would he turn that yeah. down? And I, I, said, I, I, I said, something spooked him. Hmm. He would never, if you would have told him two weeks ago, St. John's going to offer you the job, will you do it? Just blindly, yeah. like on a surface level? Of course. Something's going on. Something spooked him. What is it? I think that it is an, an administration mess. Uh. You Like, there's... N- the people pulling in different directions. Yeah. Nobody knows who's in charge. And when you, I don't know if you've ever interviewed for a job, but you go into it thinking, I, I think I'd take this. Yes. And then you you walk out of the meeting and you go, yes, I have no, I can't co- do this. the person I just talked to right. is going to be in charge of me. I have no confidence in that person. Yeah. I can't do it. Right. It happens. I can tell you a lot, many years ago, Sean Miller interviewed at Maryland. Yeah. And was going in, going to take the job. This is when he was mm-hmm. at Xavier. And he sat down with the AD at Maryland and he was like, I can't. I can't no not, way. I can't. This, this is not right for me. <laughs> wow. This is not right for me. And then he, he turned it down and then he ended up at Arizona. Nice. But it feels like that's what's happened here is that hmm. the UMBC coach should never turn down the St. John's job. Yeah. The Iona coach should never turn down the St. John's job. And the Loyola Chicago coach should never turn down the St. John's job. And that's why the people at St. John's have to look in the mirror and go, what are we doing to make people who should take our job not want our job? Because this is not normal. At least at UCLA, they were getting turned down by people who shouldn't want their job, like the Kentucky coach, like the Virginia coach. Yep. Here, the, the St. John's is getting turned down by people who should be dying to get their job. People who should be on the phone with their agent saying, see if you can get me involved at St. John's. And then you actually got $17 million offer on the table, and you're like, I don't want it. What? I mean, it is bizarre. There's no doubt this has brought to light a lot of dysfunction inside the St. John's Athletic Department. And the fact that they can't figure out who was trying to make the hire, who's got the final say, how much they're willing to buy out, if they're willing to buy out, if they're willing to spend money. I mean, you're in New York City and in the Big East. There is no reason this should be this hard to go down the rung of all of the ladder, every rung on the ladder, try to find your guy. Ultimately, it might have ended up fine because Mike Anderson's a good coach, but the way that they got there, yikes. In Boston, seems like all is well in the playoff front. The Bruins just got a win to tie up their series against the Maple Leafs. The Celtics just got a win to take a 2-0 series lead against Indiana. But in baseball... Oh, boy. Coming off a historic season for the Red Sox and a World Series championship, they have been terrible. GM Dave Dombrowski has to answer questions. Namely, what is up with Mookie Betts, the reigning MVP? Here he is on WEEI with Dale and Keefe in Boston. Mookie Betts was the best player in the American League last year, won the MVP and deserved it. He looks lost at the plate so far, hitting 200 at this stage of the season. Has anybody been able to put a finger on what's going on? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, sure, hitting coaches are the ones that work with him most on those type of things. And, um, 
and so they have identified things, but it's also apparent that we haven't able to fix it. Um, hitters go through this. They go through tough periods. Uh, when you start talking about, I mean, there's a lot of guys in our club struggling, but when you start talking about Mookie Betts and Chris Sale, you're talking about one of the best five pitchers, starting pitchers in Major League Baseball, one of the top five players in Major League Baseball, and it's been a scuffle early in the season for him. So, uh, along with many other guys. So when you're going through these type of struggles, it's a reason why that your record ends up being the way it is right now for us. And uh, I, usually what my you know, experience tells me in the game and listening to many, many people throughout the years that I highly respect that when you go through periods like this, you, you turn over their bubblegum card and look at the back of it, and they usually end up somewhere like the back of their bubblegum card. So if that's the case, we'll be in a position where there's a lot of positive upsides to those two as well as many other guys with our club. Is there no chance of any return to a contract, at least discussion with Mookie, now through the end of the season, or is that done until the season's over? Well, we as we had said, with all of our players at this point, uh, once the season began, we really are usually unless something totally unexpected happens, we don't have ongoing conversations uh, in this middle of the season on contracts. It really is a distraction for many guys. So at this point, uh, we don't have any ongoing conversations with contracts with any of our players. Do you get the sense that Mookie wants to be in Boston? Oh, I think he likes Boston. I think he loves being in Boston. Uh, but, um, you know, these things, when you're star players, they're not always easy to get done at times, especially the closer they get to free agency. But I think he definitely loves Boston, and he likes being here and part of the organization and part of the city. If it was one thing, it would probably be an easy fix. We need to get this player hitting better, or we need this to happen. When you've got so many things that seem to be going wrong at the same time, are you almost at a loss of where to start? Well, you know, I mean, it's a great question. And I think what you usually have to do is you, you can't look at it. If you start looking at it and putting everything under the same umbrella, um, that's usually a mistake. So what you really try to do is focus on each individual situation and try to fix it. Um, I mean, we focused on our starting pitching and trying to get that going, starting to make some strides. Um, some of our guys offensively are struggling, but they're struggling really for different reasons in various cases. Some guys... If you look at a guy like Steve Pierce, he didn't have much spring training, at the, especially at the end. He had this calf muscle. We didn't face any uh, left-hand pitches earlier when he got back. Um, yesterday, his last at-bat, he had a nice line drive to center off Anavino. And so you look at his situation, which is different than, say, Jackie Bradley Jr., who's in a spot where you know he was scuffling a little bit, and then he got sick with the flu. He's probably in a spot he wouldn't normally even be playing. But for the injuries that we've had and guys getting nicked up here, He's had to play, and so his situation's a little different. I think you have to tackle each and every situation separately, stay on top of it, and hopefully come uh, come out of it sooner rather than later. Man, Mookie Betts right now is the symbol of the Red Sox problems. He comes off an unbelievable year last year where everybody says he's one of the top three players in baseball, and here he is hitting 200 with just three home runs, a measly seven RBIs through 70 at-bats. This compared to last season and prior seasons where he just mauled the baseball. There's a lot more problems than just bets. The starting pitching's been bad. The lineup's been bad. The whole thing has been bad. But bets is certainly one of the most eyebrow-raising issues the Red Sox have had with this awful start. And finally, as we leave you for the weekend, let's go back to a name from the past. Carlos Zambrano 
is a three-time All-Star. And every year for more than half a decade, Zambrano was the opening day starter for the Chicago Cubs. He's back playing baseball in Chicago, but he's now with the Independent Professional Baseball League with the Chicago Dogs. Mmm, I'm hungry. So why is he back playing baseball after his Major League Baseball career ended? He says it's not about the money. Here he is with Danny Parkins on the score in Chicago. So after the fifth pastor, you decided, okay. I was crying. I was crying because I didn't want to come back to base to play baseball. And I was crying. My wife was next to me and she was crying too because it was a strong word what, he's, what he told us in Mexico. Why do you think God wants you to play baseball? Because there's people that need uh, the word of God. There is a marriage that need uh, to be saved. It's not about the money. It's not about, as a matter of fact, uh, the what I'm making uh, here with the dogs. I'm I'm donating to uh, to uh, charities here in Chicago and back in my my country in Venezuela. So it's not about money. People think it's about money. No, it's not about money. Uh, there's people in the big leagues that need to hear uh, God. They need to get closer to God and. There is a a marriage that needs to be saved. So that's why I'm here. A marriage that needs to be saved. Because they, they, they're about to get in divorce, you know, so. Between them and God, or do you mean like a literal marriage? In- Between the, the, the two couples. Oh, well, okay. So you believe in that. Okay. There's a lot of problems in, in marriages. Sure. Of course. Marriage is hard. Yeah. And have you always been a religious person? No. No. I, uh, I grew up and my dad. Uh, taught me about you know the Bible, but I, you know I wasn't I wasn't a Christian. I point to the sky because right. every time because uh, you know my dad showed me, but it's, it wasn't because I had a relationship with uh, God or, or you know because I was a Christian. So now I'm committed. I'm now on and you know everything that I have is belong to God and and and, and, it, and it is because God. So what made you? go see the first pastor? Like, what made you start on this path towards a religious awakening? Well, um, he was at my house. I invited him to my house to do, I was doing a barbecue for him. And, uh, you know, I brought a, I brought a, a jersey, a Cubs jersey for him. Uh, and I gave it to him and I said, you know, he thanked me and he said, oh, you know what I'm feeling right now? I feel that the Lord, God is telling me that you are going to be back in baseball, that you're going to be back, and that God wants you to play, uh, go back and play baseball again. Wow. And so you don't believe him, right? Pastor no. number one, you don't believe No, I don't believe. I don't believe what what, what he says. I, I, I mean, uh, I say, no. As a matter of fact, I told him, no, no, my time is over. I don't want to play baseball anymore. You, you're crazy, I told him. <laughs> yeah. The Carlos Zambrano playing for the Chicago Dogs. That sounds like a novelty jersey that I need to own. All right, that'll do it for the week. We'll see you next week on Around the Dial. Best of your sports talk. Andrew Bogish captains you through Around the Dial next week. We'll see you then, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.